ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Yo, 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 what's up? What's going on? What's good, everybody? This is the January 23rd, 2022 edition of the Boxing Source Radio Show. I am your host, James Bell, leader of the Boxing Source. You could, of course, follow the Boxing Source on social media through Facebook, through Instagram, through Twitter, and YouTube. Of course, Facebook, look up the Boxing Source, it's right there. Instagram, Look up the Boxing Source. It's right there uh, through uh, Twitter. Just look up the Boxing Source at Boxing Source 2. It's there. Of course, you have the YouTube page, the Boxing Source. Right? We got a lot that we're going to try to cover here in the uh, time uh, allotted. want to try to do about an hour, 30 minutes uh, here in this particular a podcast. Uh, we'll see if we can get within that uh, time slot as we have a lot to cover. Uh, there might be, you know, a little bit of a bonus uh, at the end of uh, this particular episode for those that will be listening uh, through iTunes or Google Podcasts or Spotify. So um, be sure to uh, see if that is going to be the case here later on down the line is might add something on there. Uh, from a conversation that I had earlier this week uh, with a uh, trainer uh, there. So we might have that. But uh, here in right now, we wanted to cover, of course, what happened over at the Bogota Hotel and Casino in Atlantic City uh, with the three fights uh, that were shown live on Showtime. And then uh, we'll go into more about um, What's happening in the you know next couple of weeks, and also um, the uh, fight card that was announced uh, for uh, down the line in February is uh, that's going to be a you know a pretty good card that they have set up. So uh, the thing about it is, is that we want to try to you know knock down everything that has uh, gone down here uh, in this uh, thing here with the uh, fights that had it at the Borgata. Uh, hotel and casino in Atlantic City. I wanted to start off with, of course, the opening bout uh, that it had with Tuxat Nyambayar versus Kari Lucas. It had Tuxat Nyambayar, uh, of course, it's like round, what, 12 and 2, uh, two losses, one to Gary Russell Jr. Uh, there, one and two uh, Chris Colbert, uh, where he uh, came in as a replacement opponent uh, to face Chris Colbert. Um, and going up against Sakari Lucas, where Sakari Lucas came in as a replacement opponent uh, in this particular bout uh, as Vic Perseus was originally slated to face Tucson Young Bayer and ended up being, you know, out uh, due to a positive COVID-19 test. So going into the fight, 
you know, uh, took to Neon Bayer, you know, was trying to see if he could, you know, get himself back into a world title contention. Of course, he was a former mandatory challenger to Gary Russell Jr. Um, faced him in February of 2020 over in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Uh, lost a uh, clear decision there. Uh, and like I said, he, you know, had uh, another fight after that against Kobe and Soldier Breedy in a very close fight. The judges, you know, gave it to uh, Chuck Neon Bayer. Uh, and then, like I said, he went over and faced uh, Chris Colbert uh, there uh, over at the 130-pound division uh, before this fight that he had here uh, in Atlantic City. And Sakaria Lucas, uh, you know, had a you know pretty uh, good record coming into this. Uh, was a replacement opponent, like I said, uh, was there at with a record of 25 wins, one loss. His long loss was a unanimous decision loss to Isaac Avalar. Uh, back in December of 2020 uh, over at AT&T Stadium. Um, and, you know, he was uh, coming into this bout, you know, saying that, hey, I mean, you know, I've had the majority of my fights, uh, you know, over in Africa. Uh, and, you know, he had, like, of course, just that one fight over in Arlington. That was like his first fight in the States. Uh, so coming into this particular bout, he was like, he felt like a lot was on the line. In this bout against Susa Ian Bayer, uh, saying that he didn't really want to have, you know, uh, any more fights over in Africa. He wanted to, you know, try to continue his career uh, in the States or, you know, in uh, larger markets. So he knew that there was a lot uh, here on the line in this particular bout, you know. Um, you know, one thing I wanted to, you know, kind of like go over or, you know, kind of like decipher here in, in this uh, particular bout is that you had, um, Tupac Neon Bayer, who, you know, of course, uh, had, you know, amateur background, Olympic silver medalist and, and all that type of stuff. Um, but, you know, it seemed like in, in his recent fights that he'll have some good starts, but then start to fade late. And, you know, that kind of like cost him down the line. Uh, here in this particular bout against Sakaria Lucas, we pretty much saw the same thing uh, where you had. Neon Bayer, with a very good start in those first couple of rounds, was able to land well with the left hook uh, on Sakaria Lucas. Sakaria Lucas uh, was very, it's very tough. Um, hadn't been knocked down, nearly got knocked down uh, in you know that second round from that left hook. And then I think it was another instance where uh, he was in trouble and you know tried to keep himself up, uh, but you know wasn't knocked down. Um, but then Shikari Lucas started to come back. Uh, he started to use his jab very well uh, against Sukhsat Neon Bayar. Um, and that 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 jab started to set up his, you know, right hand. And so he was able to just continue, you know, being being patient, being patient and persistent with his jab to kind of like follow things up there with the right hand. Um, and you know, I felt like in the second half of the fight, he was getting the, the better of Tucson Neon Bayer. Now, uh, in the eighth round, this is the thing that, you know, was getting folks, right? Uh, in the eighth round, you know, Sakaria Lucas caught Tucson Neon Bayer with the, with the power shot that, you know, stunned Neon Bayer. Uh, and then, you know, after, you know, missing a couple of shots, he landed the jab on Neon Bayer, and Neon Bayer went down. 
the referee <laughs> that was over the fight, Eddie Claudio, stepped up and said, nope, no knockdown. It was a slip. And, you know, Nyambar got up and, you know, the fight continued, right? And, of course, people that saw it live, you know, you know what the deal is. We'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. But that was a key part of the fight because when I was watching it live on Showtime or whatever it was, you kind of like seen it to where Sakari Lucas was on his way back in the fight. Okay. And that you you had Sakaria Lucas. He was building his way back up. He was more, you know, being more consistent uh, with the jab, landing the jab better, landing his right hand better because he was able to set it up with the jab. And that it seemed like uh, you know, um he he was uh putting um he was putting two shot down buyer pretty much like on his back foot or that type of stuff. So you you kind of like seen it to where it was more of like two shot down buyer, not really shifting himself to try to finish off the second half of that fight or the last part of that fight. Okay, so what ended up happening was uh, you had to go ten rounds and you had the uh, decision come down. Uh, you had you know Judge Tony Lundy scored 96-94 for Sakari Lucas. You had Judge Ron McDare scored. 96-94 for Tuchot Nyambayar. You had Robin Taylor scored about 95-95 for a split decision draw. And, you know, for a lot of people that were, you know, in attendance live and for those that were watching, you see how that missed knockdown was a key part of that fight because that could have been scored as a 10-8 round for Sakari Lucas. And if it was scored a 10-8 round, then Sakaria Lucas would have been able to have that win by decision. Before I go more to uh, that uh, reaction to the decision, I wanted to bring in our, our guest uh, that comes in here, uh, checking in from Atlanta. That's right. It's the boxing academic in the building right now with us on the Boxing Source. The boxing academic checking in. What's going on? Name was Jay. How you doing today, man? Uh, doing all good here, you know, just going over the uh, fight card and whatnot uh, with that first fight that was on Showtime, Sakari Lucas, Tucson Down Bayer, uh, was a split decision draw. Um, any, uh, you know, reactions to that particular fight before I go into the interview <laughs> with the referee? <laughs> yeah, he, he was pretty, pretty funny. I, I just have a, a question on that before I forget. Is it really a travesty to be like, oh, I missed it in the moment because this was a live millisecond thing. And now I see that, you know, from the video, based on from my, from my perspective, I didn't see it from my perspective, but watching this video camera, you know, I can see that. But is it really that hard? Is it really that uh, bad to to like correct yourself once you find information that shows you differently. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I, I would kind of like say um, to an extent that um, you would want to see if you would say, okay, 
that was my bad. You know, if there was a chance that I would have been able to correct myself in that instance, you know, I'd be, you know, I, I should be able to do that. Or like, I guess with the New Jersey State Athletic Commission, they would have something where, you know, after the end of a round, uh, if you see that if there was a slip and then it could possibly be a knockdown, that they should have like a replay uh, put in place because stuff like that is very key in bouts that are very close. But in this case here where, you know, you had the referee uh, in charge there, Eddie Claudio, talking to Jim Gray. And Jim Gray was like, let's go to the video tape. And uh, he's like, you see there? It's like, and then Eddie Claudio was like, talk about it. It's like, okay, I see that, you know, uh, you know, the guy got hit with a you know big power shot. And then I was, you know, backing up, you know, by the ropes and, yeah, I mean, at my bed's point, I couldn't see it. Like, what do you want me to do? <laughs> it's basically what he was saying. He was basically saying, like, what do you want me to do? You know? Uh, and, and I'm, I'm, I was just, you know, I was just, like, rolling when that when that was happening. Um, you know, from those that were in attendance, a lot of a lot of people that, you know, were in attendance, I uh, <laughs> was laughing when, when, when they heard uh, Eddie Claudio uh, they're trying to explain it, um, and it's all, it, it almost like you know, kind of like goes back into um, where it was like I think it was Tim Bradley versus Jesse Vargas, uh, where Jesse Vargas had seriously hurt Tim Bradley uh, near the end of the fight, and then you know <laughs> the referee at that at that time kind of like stepped in to say that's the end of the round when it was like ten seconds left in the fight, you know. Um, that that was like you know similar to me uh, in, in this particular instance, but that was like a seriously missed call uh, there by Eddie Claudio. And like I said, with it being a split decision draw, that just you know made a huge difference into who would have been able to win the fight. Like Sakari Lucas could have won that fight if they had scored that particular instance as a knockdown. Gotcha. So I'll answer your question that you asked me. What What do I think about the fight? <sighs> Honestly, I thought it was kind of boring. Um, I started drifting away from it. You know, in the beginning, I started watching it. But at least in the beginning, Nyambiar, uh, maybe he's just a front runner, but he was getting the better of the exchanges. And I mean, you could probably make a, a, a case that he is a front runner because he definitely, you know, with the fight with, uh, you know, Kobe or Breedy, you know, he, he came out strong, landed a few nice shots, same way he did with this guy. And then, you know, it just seemed like the steam get taken off his punches and, and it just becomes more of a contest. So it was kind of, um, I wasn't as engaged in it. I was watching it, but I was like doing other stuff. So it was kind of, disengaging, you know, without saying polarizing mean words. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel you, I feel you. Um, you know, I mean, I kind of like uh, had it to where, like, it could have been something, in, like, in the first half of the fight, I thought it was something where you could have had it possibly uh, where Tucson and Jan Bayer would have been able to stop Sakaria Lucas. There was, like, even one point early in the fight where before one of the rounds started, that they kind of like had a timeout 
And it almost looked like, whether it was like at the end of the second or the end of the third round, where it almost seemed like the referee or the doctor that was in Sakari Lucas's corner was almost looking like they were going to stop the fight. And, you know, after that, I was like, oh, man, this this might not be good uh, here for Sakari Lucas. But then, you know, after about, you know, round four or five, he was starting to get himself patient, uh, started to time uh, Nyambaira a little bit better and got himself back into the fight. And, uh, you know, I felt like it was uh, the second half of that fight was uh, in, in the advantage of Sakari Lucas. And, you know, like I said, if they had scored that knockdown in the eighth round, that would have, you know, leaned the fight or leaned the cards in Sakari Lucas's favor. And, um, you know, given what, you know, he was saying uh, before the fight, um, you know, that could have, you know, that could really affect him as far as like his future uh, there, uh, as far as like fighting is concerned, because, you know, maybe, the, maybe uh, you know, people will probably be, uh, interested in putting them in position to, you know, have more fights uh, there in, in that particular division uh, there. So, you know, maybe uh, they could, you know, try to have them either at, you know, 126 pound division or the 130 pound division. He probably would like to be at 126. Uh, but as far as like another uh, fight with uh, Neon Bayer, I'm not sure if they're, you know, they're going to be uh, interested in doing that. Um, the thing with Neon Bayer is, is that, um, he does have like a pretty good support system. So you might see him in the ring again. Um, you know, pretty, I wouldn't say pretty soon, but if they have like, a, I think it's um, uh, over in the West Coast, uh, I think it's like in Carson, California, where they have that Dignity Health Sports Park. I think they have like a good uh, Mongolian crowd out there or something like that. So they might, you know, put him uh, in a fight back there. Um, for his next fight, but as far as like Sakari Lucas is concerned, um, I'm not sure like where they'll position him as far as like what uh, his next fight uh, would be uh, there in, in that particular instance. So, um, you know, it's kind of like a bad break there for Sakari Lucas, uh, but you know, in, in essence, hopefully uh, he can uh, get something uh, where he gets another opportunity to have a, a pretty good fight in the near future there for him. So. Were these guys did did a lot of them have a connection to Manny Pacquiao in this card? Uh, no, no, uh, oh, okay, okay. Uh, yeah, I was somehow trying to relate because you said Mongolia relate Mongolia to Philippines, but uh, yeah, yeah. okay, never mind. Gotcha. All right, so, um, you know, next up, I wanted to talk about the uh, rematch that was uh, the co-feature bout uh, there with. Uh, you had Pedro Sinanian and Silvio Matias at the 140-pound division. Uh, the first fight was, uh, I think it was part of the um, Wilder Fury card a while back, uh, where, you know, um, Silvio Matias was really... Uh, getting to Patriots Nanyan in the first half of the fight, but then at the second half, uh, Patriots Nanyan was uh, coming back, and and uh, Subaru Matias didn't really have that much energy in the back half of that fight, uh, which ended up costing him that fight by decision, and that was his lone loss. So coming into this bout, uh, you know, Subaru Matias kind of like was saying like this fight he he wanted to have, uh, you know, of course he had 
you know, 17 wins, all 17 wins by way of knockout at that particular time. Uh, and that, you know, he was almost like, you know, put in position, high positions there in the 140 pound division. Uh, you know, he did, you know, have a uh, pretty impressive win in his uh, last fight uh, against uh, Bader Jukumbayev. Uh, and then also the one before that in 2020 against Malik Hawkins. Uh, but, you know, going up against Patriots and Nanyan, uh, that was just something that, you know, he felt like he needed to try to go and say that he's better than, you know, Patriots and Nanyan. And, you know, in the first half of the fight, it was pretty much like the same thing that we saw in the first fight with, you know, Silvio Matias being very sharp, very active, you know, landing shots and everything like that. Um, by about, you know, third or fourth round, you saw Patriots and Nanyan kind of like coming back in from, I would say, like rounds three to round six. Those were some great rounds uh, from both of those fighters uh, that, you know, going into it as, as those rounds were going on, I was like, yo, this might be the one of the first candidates for fight of the year for 2022. But the uh, the thing about it was, was that with the um, accuracy of Subriel Matias, uh, with his combinations, with his uppercut, um, and multiple power shots, by about the fourth or fifth round, you you saw visibly that Subriel Matias was affected. I mean, not Subriel Matias, but Petros Nanyan was affected by the shots that Subriel Matias was throwing. And so even though Petros Nanyan, uh was kind of like trying to get himself back into the fight, uh, that Matias was doing a couple of things to where he was fighting well off the ropes uh, in, the, in the, you know, the second part of the fight. Um, and he was like really affecting um, Petros Ananyan to the point where Ananya was getting worn down. There were body shots thrown by Subriel Matias that was wearing down Patriots Ananyan, even though Ananya was still coming forward, still coming forward. You could just see that Matias was timing them well, throwing combinations, and then he just eventually wore down Patriots Ananyan, scored the knockdown uh, there uh, over in the uh, ninth round. And then uh, by the time the end of that round happened, you know, Ananya went to the corner. Doctor checked checked him out, and then the doctor told the referee uh, there, um, Mary Glover, to go ahead and stop the bout. So Mary Glover stopped the bout, and Surreal Matias gets that win. So he's eighteen and one with eighteen of those wins by way of knockout. And you know I think he's one of the more impressive uh, contenders there in that one hundred and forty pound division. And it's, he's somebody to really watch out for at one forty, um, with it being very deep as far as like the number of fighters that they have. One of those fighters I'll, you know, talk about a little bit later as uh, he has like a big fight coming up. Uh, but Subaru Matias is like one of those, one of those guys that I like to say is probably one of the three guys up that could probably go after a world title there at 140 pounds, depending on what happens with the undisputed champion, Josh Taylor. Uh, so, I want to get stuff uh, here from the boxing academic on the performance of Subriel Matias, uh, boxing academic. What you got on this one? So Matt would probably talk mess about me because I was like in and out of this fight too. I'm not even sure. 
<laughs> I, I had it on the TV, but I'm not even sure what was like what I was doing. But I just saw the like I was like, oh man, the ending looked real good, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, I can't give you much on this one. I mean, yeah, you know, it was a good matchup, uh, and watching it live, I just thought it was a very action packed fight. Oh, you was at the fight? Nah, I, I didn't end up going to the fight. You know, watching it live, you know, I kind of like seeing Super Matias, uh, you know, be an improved fighter, I guess, you know, compared to the first fight that he had uh, there, you know, against Patriots Ananyan. Uh, Ananyan is a very tough, very tough fighter. Um, it was just that, you know, he didn't have the, uh, I think it was like the defensive uh, presence to, you know, try to block uh, most of the shots that uh, Super Matias was throwing. So, uh, you know, over the course of those rounds, once those rounds started to rack up, you've seen, you know, Ananyan just, you know, being worn down and worn down. And, you know, once that, you know, that hook came through and pretty much, you know, hurt Ananyan and had them, you know, stumble back and knock down, that was pretty much like him being <laughs> exhausted. Uh, so, you know, by instinct, he was able to get up uh, and then it was the end of the round. But, you know, the doctor pretty, you know, just said like, hey, it, that's it. That's it for Petros there, man. So, you know, Silvio uh, Matias, uh, you know, was showing out, you know, had his mother in attendance there uh, to watch the fight. You know, was trying to, you know, build towards, uh, you know, like he was saying, uh, you know, buying the house for his mom. Uh, so. You know, him kind of like racking these wins up and building himself up in the 140-pound division. Uh, that could set him up later on down the line to, you know, try to see if he could get himself into a position to, you know, fight for a world title or be a mandatory challenger for one of those world titles uh, there. So I think that was, you know, a very good performance there by Subaru Matias. Uh, I mean, you got, you know, other guys out there, other contenders. You know, like a Brandon Lee is uh, out there at 140 pounds. Um, you know, and you know, like I said, one other one is out there at 140 pounds, or and has a fight that's coming up February 26. Want to go into the main event, WBC featherweight championship, Gary Russell Jr. versus Mark Masayo. Gary Russell Jr., longtime featherweight champion, WBC featherweight champion. You know, over uh, five years. Uh, as the WBC featherweight champion, Mark McShaw was the third-ranked WBC contender, but they uh, stated, said that he was like a mandatory challenger. Uh, therefore, the WBC title uh, was coming in there, you know, undefeated. Uh, you know, had a uh, stoppage victory in his uh, last bout uh, that he had against Julio Ceja. Um, and, you know, a lot of folks were like saying, oh, you know, maybe – Maybe this could have been something, you know, they, they seen Mark McSayo. He, you know, was there behind Manny Pacquiao under Manny Pacquiao promotions. Of course, Sean Gibbons is, uh, you know, backing them behind him. Uh, seeing pictures of Mark McSayo, you know, pretty much being as big as, you know, 147 or something like that. You know, like you've seen, you seen him, you know, kind of like alongside uh, Sean Porter, you know, former two-time welterweight champion and that he was almost like the same size as uh sean porter uh but you had of course gary russell jr uh from capitol heights longtime featherweight champion 
uh, was, you know, coming in there, you know, saying she didn't feel make another one, uh, another defense. Um, and, you know, in those first couple of rounds, you kind of like seen um, Gary Russell try to gauge uh, Mark McSow. Uh, looked like he was trying to be, you know, first a little bit and didn't necessarily get the range correctly, even though, you know, McSow was like the taller fighter, the ranger fighter. So a lot of times in those first round, the first round, the first two rounds, when Gary Russell started to come in, he was getting caught with, you know, either one shot with the uppercut or, you know, one or two shots from Maxayo. And so, you know, it initially seemed like, especially with the first round, that uh, Mark Maxayo, uh was looking like he was getting the better of Gary Russell. Uh, but then, you know, round three and then round four up until, you know, um, Russell had suffered the injury to his right shoulder, he started to time Maxayo. And once he was able to do that, then you kind of like seen a little bit less activity there from Mark Maxayo. But then once Gary Russell's right shoulder went down, it was pretty much just Gary Russell with one hand. And what Gary Russell with Jr. was doing was just measuring McSile, seeing where he's at, seeing if there was any opening, and just throwing the left, throwing the left, throwing the left. Sometimes he would throw the lead left and then see what the response would be from McSile and then just try to, you know, dodge and slip a lot of punches. Or he would just continue to throw the left hand multiple times without much of an answer coming from Mark McSile. And we kind of like seeing that for the majority of the rounds, even though McSile was kind of active and trying to pursue Gary Russell Jr., a lot of the times those punches that McSile was throwing weren't necessarily landing. Um, you've seen that for like uh, from a good part of that middle uh, section of the fight until about rounds 10 and 11. And uh, in, in round 11, you really seen like Mark McSile have a little bit more energy in comparison to the last few rounds that he had. Um, and then in the 12th round, it was pretty much like, you know, I would say a lot of people would say it would have been up in the balance. Uh, but Gary Russell Jr., even with just one hand, was able to get through it. Uh, the judges uh, had this thing to where uh, it was a... 114-114, and then two scores of 115-113 for Mark McSile for him to win the WBC featherweight title. Me personally, I felt like Gary Russell Jr., even with him being injured, was able to do enough to get the win because it's more about controlling the pace, being effective in what you're doing, and ring generalship. You know? Those were pretty much like the three standards of scoring about. And I just felt like even with one hand, it was like he was just there. He was landing shots more effectively. He was landing the more telling shots over the course of the bout. And that Mark McSile from for majority of that, that fight really couldn't figure out how to, one, try to move away from the left hand, and then, two, try to effectively close off or, you know, cut off the ring so that he would be able to get to Gary Russell and then try to wear down Gary Russell over the course of the bout. And he, it didn't look like he was able to do that. And so for me, I felt like it was more of Gary Russell being able to control the pace of the fight and, you know, control what was going on in that fight over the course of those 12 rounds, even with him being injured. But uh, the judges, you know, kind of like felt like uh, that was different. 
Um, I'll have more on, um, you know, some of the reactions from this particular bout uh, here later on down the line. But boxing academic, what what did you uh, think about the result uh, there for uh, Mark Mangsayo getting a decision win over Gary Russell? Well, I'm uh, I'm not upset over the decision. I didn't score the fight, so I have to lead with that. However, I think that him losing the fight is reasonable. And I, and I say it's reasonable because let me let me pause for making my chicken so I can talk to you. <laughs> chicken. And I and I think it's reasonable because when you look at the beginning of the fight when he when he did have the use or however much use he had of it of his shoulder or whatever and he was throwing his jab and he was sort of leading with the jab Maxayo was doing what he should have did. He's the longer fighter. He would step back, use his reach, and then catch Gary Russell on the end of the punch. It's pop, pop. And so he was getting the better of those exchanges early to me. And so, you know, there were some rounds where, where they were close, but in terms of the number of punches that was being thrown, in terms of who was getting the better of the engagements early, I would say Maxayo. Um, quite naturally, I, I forgot when the shoulder injury happened, but at some point it's like, you know, Gary did something with his left shoulder and he was like, ah, oh, you know, you heard him scream or whatever, or maybe he didn't scream, but you saw him wince or whatever. And then you saw like him have an adverse reaction. And so from that point on, he was only throwing his, uh, his left hand or whatever, his, his, uh, dumb, his strong hand. And so... There were times when the amount of activity still was going to Maxayo. There were some clear dominant rounds where, like you said, uh, he was doubling and tripling on the left hand, uh, on the uh, strong hand. He was timing him. He was catching him pretty clean. But at some point, like toward the end, I think, you know, he was physically tired because he literally threw that hand. He threw the hand quite a few times. And that was the only hand he had available to him to use. The only thing he was doing with his right hand was literally just, you know, putting up a barrier between himself and the guy to sort of like measure range and distance. So I'm not mad on the decision because I don't know how many earlier rounds, but I remember there were a couple earlier rounds when Maxayo was getting the better of, of Gary. After the injury happened, you know, Gary did, did a gut check and he was like, I gotta, I gotta put a charge up, and he did. Indeed, he put a charge up. At the same time, there were quite a few rounds outside of those rounds where Gary clearly won the, won the, won the uh, match, which was probably like round five and round six. He clearly won a couple, a few of them, where he was landing the most punches, and you know he just had the cleaner punches, and then he was using his distance, his foot, to like keep, keep range. Outside of those rounds, a lot of them other rounds were too close. And so if you say a one-hand fighter who throwing one, you know, left punch and another fighter who who's throwing one left punch and then sort of retreating to throw that left punch, and then the other fighter who's throwing both hands, albeit ineffectively, you know, ineffectively meaning that at the end of the day, Maxayo ain't that good. 
like he, he he's good enough to beat a one hand man who you know what I'm saying can't throw his other hand, but two handed gear you know Gary Russell would win the fight hands down after them first initial rounds the steam get off and the dude start to slow down Gary Russell would have started to to separate himself but in the fight that actually happened he was impeded and he couldn't separate himself because he was throwing one hand so you got one guy who's throwing one hand retreating and you got the other guy who's throwing two hands ineffectively but he's throwing two hands and he's throwing more shots I just it wasn't enough of them clean, clear, cutout rounds that I saw that it didn't leave doubt. Like Maxayo was doing enough to where you're like, well, shit, do I choose a man who throwing more punches and throwing both hands and who's pressing the action? Or do I choose a guy who I know is incapacitated, but, you know, he holding his own. And, you know, you got to get you got to get a man a lot of credit for doing that and you know seems like he already had the injury pre-fight you got to take your hat off to him at the same time given the events that happened a man throwing more punches leading the action pressing the issue versus a man only throwing one shot and then again there were clear rounds where he won clear and convincingly there was like a few of them after the middle or so toward the middle but i just i think it's reasonable to say that he lost the fight yes based upon everything i just said well, I mean, it was like um, it, it usually depending on like how you kind of like view the fight or um, you know envision the fight and how it went down. Um, I have like somebody that you know I was gonna you know mention um, you know a couple of uh, reactions that were there on site, but uh, got my guy that was uh, there at Atlantic City, uh, of course, coming out of Philly, the Philly Link himself, Mister Wyatt from Sports Media in the building. What's going on? What's good, fellas? What's happening? Uh, I saw a robbery last night. Um, I realized how presentation can make things look as far as um, the optics with Showtime and the CompuBox numbers. Those numbers were extremely false. I saw a, a young fighter get embarrassed last night. I saw a one-hand man put forth probably the best performance out of any hurt fighter that I've seen in a long time. You know, um, you know, I had heard from like uh, other people immediately uh, after uh, the fight um, where, you know, they kind of like said that they were sitting at uh, ringside for, for like the start of the fight and then they like moved around to different uh, vintage points around the ring to see what was going on and you know, they kind of like said that they felt like Gary Russell like, you know, kind of like took that fight, you know, 75 around 75 or something like that and, you know, from uh, you know what you uh, had uh, there by SM where you were talking to, uh, you know people there uh, that were at the fight, a couple fighters that were at the fight they said that Gary Russell uh, Jr. kind of like uh, took that fight um, like they did, they pretty much like had the same you know vision or thought that you had when you were watching the fight live. Nobody thought that uh, Max Hale won. Mm. Yeah. Nobody outside of Filipino fans or people that were watching at home. Uh, people, people got to realize you don't judge fights by just whoever's throwing the most punches. 
there, there's a certain criteria that you have to judge fights by. Uh, effective aggression, ring generalship, and clean, effective punching. Mm-hmm. Was Max Sales aggressive, effective? No. Did he have the cleaner punches? No. Who showed off the superior ring general? Gary Russell. Yeah, me, to me, I had eight, round, eight rounds to four. It wasn't close. I mean, I, I hear you, but I think that's very debatable seeing that the punches that were landing. So let, let, I'm going to give a scenario. Floyd Mayweather, let's say, generally speaking, has that same archetype. You know, the guys throwing more shots, you throw more effective shots. But for me, I can't say that Gary Russell, like all the left hands that Gary Russell was throwing outside of them couple of rounds where, where it was just like clear and utter domination, them rounds where it was close, a lot of them shots, what's the name, was blocking when he was throwing the left hand in them close rounds. Ooh, bro. He was getting hit with three straight left hands in a row. Well, I'm, I agree, but I'm saying those were the rounds. When, when he got hit with three straight left hands in a row, those were the rounds where you're like, all right, clear clear win, clear easy win. For, for the old, it was a few rounds where Gary, like, just – won the round and then he was using his movement and Max Sayo literally didn't throw no shots and Gary just was landing shots, shot after shot after shot, but them rounds where they both was throwing shots and then Max Sayo was throwing more shots and then he would you know, land some and then Gary really wasn't landing, you know, like in the close rounds, he wasn't landing, so all I'm saying is I I could see, you know what I'm saying the case where so you so you could give Max Sayo, based on the criteria of judging fights, the proper criteria, you can give Max Sayo seven rounds. I didn't judge the fight. I didn't score the fight. You you know I um when I when I'm into a fight, I score the fight from my own judging criteria, and I and I actually scored. The fact that I didn't do it, and I was only looking at it from a bird's eye view, high level. I'm I'm just literally speculating on what I'm saying, so I'm not giving a uh, who who I think should win because I mean obviously Maxayo. I'm gonna repeat what I said before. Maybe you heard me, but I don't think Maxayo's that good. And obviously, if Russell had two hands, the the talent would have shown over the entirety of that match. But when you have a fighter with two hands throwing more shots, and another fighter with only one hand, throwing, yeah, the more effective shots, but less quantity. Um, and he wasn't rocking his head back. It wasn't like the shots that was landing was like Canelo, where he was like knocking people's head back, and you like, oh, you know, or even for that fact, how when Floyd hit somebody clean. Yo, I, what, what I don't I'm know, really, uh, you know, I, I can't speak on who I think won, but I can see how people say Maxaya won, and I can see how people say Gary Russell won. I, I can see both. I didn't judge, but really if I did, I'm more defensive answer. People, people have a completely different experience on TV as you do live. I feel like uh, people get um, 
people get fixated on the CompuBox numbers and the announcers, and they could sway a person's decision. To me, it it wasn't close. Like you let you literally knew that the guy only had one hand, and you still kept getting hit <laughs> cleanly. Like it, it was embarrassing to to me. It was embarrassing to watch. Yeah, if, if is, you're a Max Iyer fan, which is which is why I say he ain't that good because for that very fact. Now there were a couple rounds. Them rounds where Gary Russell won handsomely. And I saw the compu box after that round. I'm like, wait, what? They saying he only landed four punches. And I clearly saw Gary Russell land. It was one round clearly where he was just landing shot after shot after shot after shot. And Sayo literally like went cold. He wasn't throwing no shots. And and I looked at the compu box and they was like 15 punches to four. I was like, oh, really? I might go back and watch it and score, you know, and, and I might have a, you know, a more definitive opinion next week. You know, don't don't crucify me, though, if if I don't have the same opinion. <laughs> watch your mail left. Oh, he, he, he I think he's like, you know, in and out and stuff like that, because he, he usually like checks in and then um he, he has like, you know, his own thing that you know he does and stuff like that. So he, he might he might be back in a little bit. Um, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe that could be uh, one of uh, your, um, you know, videos on YouTube where you, you know, will probably just do an analysis of that particular fight and then, uh, you know, kind of like have your reaction there on YouTube or something like that or something a little bit later. But um, you know, for me, um, I just felt like it was more of like the thing where, you know, like YSM said was that um, you know, it was more of ring generalship. Uh, where, you know, Gary Russell was controlling the pace and that, you know, with him being there at the fight, you know, he did talk with, um, you know, Jerome Boots Ennis, uh, who was there at the fight. Uh, Stephen Fulton uh, was there at the fight. Of course, unified champion Stephen Fulton was there at the fight. A um, few, you know, other uh, guys there. A lot of a lot of the Philly uh, crew uh, took that trip uh, over uh, to see uh, that fight. And a lot of them, you know, pretty much felt like Gary Russell Jr. was uh, controlling the controlling the pace of the fight, uh, making Mark McSyle miss a lot, and and uh, you know be more controlling with his left hand. Um, you know, YSM also you know talked with uh, one of Gary's brothers, Gary uh, Antonio Russell, and Gary Antonio Russell kind of like compared this particular fight as far as like the styles in a way to. John Real Casimero versus Guillermo Riggin now, but with, of course, Gary Russell Jr. throwing a whole lot more punches than uh, Guillermo Riggin now did. John Real Casimero is another, I think, another one of the fighters that um, um, Manny Pacquiao promotions or Sean Gibbons uh, manages and, and or that type of thing. And a lot of people don't really want to recall that particular fight between John Real Casimero and Guillermo Rigondeaux. But here in this particular instance, you you just kind of seen, you know, a Mark Maxwell coming forward, trying to come forward and try to see if it could get to Gary Russell. But a lot of times he didn't really like open up as far as like throwing a jab, trying to come in, throwing a jab or anything like that. So 
with him just being there, just coming forward, waiting, not even moving side to side, not moving away from the left hand of Gary Russell, he just kept getting caught with the left hand. Bam, bam, you know? And, you know, I just felt like that was the determining factor in him kind of like controlling the fight, being the more effective puncher in that instance, and kind of like showing like he was, you know, just the more superior fighter there. But, you know, even with the decision, a lot of people say like, okay, we know that Gary Russell, if he had both of his hands, it would have, you know, been a more telling uh, decision win. Like some people say like uh, Russell could have stopped Mexile in that particular instance if he had both hands. Um, I think I heard that from, um, I think it's uh, either uh, Jerome Boots Ennis or Bozy Ennis that said, I think it was uh, Boots uh, that said that if they had a rematch that Gary Russell would stop Mexile. Uh, but, you know, with McSyle kind of like having the um, the designation of mandatory challenger, there isn't really a rematch clause uh, that's put in effect for this particular fight that happened last night. So you likely aren't going to see an immediate rematch in this instance. Um, and, you know, for me, with um, Mark McSyle uh, kind of like being under, you know, Manny Pacquiao promotions and uh, Sean Gibbons, that uh, that they may just try to, you know, either have McSyle have first like a voluntary defense or uh, defense against somebody like a Ray Vargas, maybe, or anything like that. And then afterwards, probably try to face like Emmanuel Navarrete, if Navarrete is still the WBO featherweight champion at that particular time. So um, I just think, you know, there was an instance where, um, a few people within uh, media outlets were kind of like waiting on something like this to happen because they really don't feel Gary Russell Jr. that much. Uh, but that's like a whole nother story. And that that's just one that I'm not ready to like put out on wax uh, through the podcast or live on, on this particular instance. But you had Max Howard, WBC featherweight champion, and we got to see, uh, you know, what's next there. Uh, for Mark McSyle, uh down the line. Let me let me say something for you. Add somebody in. Um, I, I I think Russell had to know. I would hope he had to know, based upon his. You, you know how Haiti sort of have have their own thing and was independent of everybody else. Like based upon the Russell. Clan's independence of self, like it seems like they are a pretty tight knit clan and they rely on each other. Based upon that independence, when you're vulnerable, you have to know if you get into stuff like this. You know, I I just that that the decision when you actually do and are vulnerable, are people really going to give you the benefit of the doubt? Whoever people are, I don't know, but I'm just saying, based upon how it seems like he's perceived, he had to know that, you know, if he ever got in a, you know, vicarious situation that people would try him, you know, just my thoughts. I don't know. I mean, you know, you know, situation like going into, you know, this particular bout, of course, uh, with, uh, you know, the stuff that they were, you know, handling over the previous year. Um, year, year and a half, 
um, you know, with his, with his younger brother. And of course, uh, the, you know, with the recent news of, you know, Gary Russell Sr., uh, you know, having uh, his foot amputated, you know, you know, deal, you know dealing with uh, his uh, health issues, uh, that, you know, there was a lot, you know, on his mind during, during this particular camp. And, you know, of course, you know, the thing there with the injury and that type of stuff was another thing. But, you know, like you were saying immediately after the fight, yeah, I know that, you know, I'm injured and stuff like that, but I'm willing to go forward and have this particular fight because, you know, in, in a sense, one, in, in some cases, like you're, you're going to be criticized one way or another. Like he could have just said, you know what, I have this injury, you know, go ahead and delay this fight or whatever it is. And you could have something where uh, uh, some people will say, like, look, he didn't want to have this fight. Like he's trying to, you know, back out of this with an injury and stuff or something like that. And of course, you know, the day before with the weigh-in and whatnot, it was saying like he was, you know, a half pound overweight. But, you know, he pretty much like shed that off, shed off the pound like pretty easily. So that wasn't really that much of an issue for him. But it was more about, you know, what was happening with his dad, uh, you know, and him, you know, kind of like dealing with, um, you know, the loss of his, of his uh, younger brother, uh, one of his younger brothers. And, you know, he's kind of like been there as far as like more, uh, working with, you know, Gary Antoine and Gary Antonio Russell uh, as far as, like, being in the corners uh, them for, for when they have their fights. Like, for example, with uh, Gary Antonio Russell's uh, fight last year, uh, you know, he was pretty much up there kind of, like, talking and being more of a coach uh, for Gary Antonio Russell uh, in comparison to, you know, Gary Russell Sr. that, you know, kind of, like, sits on the side, pretty much sits off to the side, but usually was more – vocal before you know he had his health issues so he's been uh gary russell jr is more you know kind of like coaching his younger brothers um here in these days uh outside of you know just trying to you know prepare for that fight against mark mcsile so um so i think yeah that was that was part of it um you know some could say like you know with the you know the history of uh sean gibbons and manny pacquiao promotions and Having someone like Mark Maxile coming from Philippines, and yeah, is another you know Philippine you know Filipino fighter that's coming up. That okay, maybe you know he'll get like a lot of buzz, a lot of media, uh, a lot of media buzz, and that type of thing. So that that could have been another factor into it. But uh, you know, we just have to see how it is here with Gary Russell Jr. Uh, here in the future. Uh, what what will he do as far as like his injury is concerned? Is he going to He'll go forward and he'll try to have a surgery on that shoulder and see, you know, how that would uh, work out for him. Um, and then if that's that's what he does, then what would be next for him, given that a good amount of fighters didn't really were re kind of like reluctant to go ahead and take that risk to face Gary Russell Jr. anyway, you know. So now it, it's like what position is he going to be in? Now that he is not a world champion, when he wasn't getting, you know, opportunities while he was holding the world title, like no unification belt was coming towards his way the whole time that he was world champion. And now that he doesn't have a world title, does this make him more available to face those guys? Or will they just say, hey, he doesn't have the belt. What's the value in facing someone like Gary Russell Jr. now? that he doesn't have a belt. So it's a real tough situation there in that particular instance. And so uh, that's something that, you know, we'll follow here 
uh, over the next few months or so. Earlier this week, the boxing source caught up with the father and trainer of the WBO middleweight champion, Demetrius Andrade, as Paul Andrade talked to us about various topics dealing with his son, including Jaime Munguia's reluctance to fight Demetrius, the situation between Demetrius Andrade and Canelo Alvarez over the years, plus the whole back and forth between Demetrius Andrade and the Charlo brothers, and of course, recently with Jamal Charlo, as Jamal Charlo is a WBC middleweight champion, but has yet to uh, be in the ring to face Demetrius Andrade. So here is a few snippets of that phone interview that we had with Paul Andrade. Right. And, uh, you know, they're all to be respected. But if we decide to fight Jebebeck or we decide to fight to 168, right, go to 168, well, what's Munguia going to do now? <laughs> because well, if we go to 68, Munguia's going to fight him for the vacant title. Yeah, for the vacant title. If we yeah. stay there and fight him, which we would do, Munguia's still going to not be, Munguia's still going to refuse to fight us. And, so, um, what's going to happen there? Yeah. See, the door, what door do you think opens, the better door can close. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, that that thing with Munguia just like was a definite head scratcher for me. I mean, he, you know, he was there at 154. He he defeated Saddam Ali for that 154 pound belt. He comes up to 160. He could have been the immediate, you know, mandatory challenger, but you know, he faced the Spike O'Sullivan's and you know uh, other guys are there at middleweight. And you know, when the opportunity came up for him to fight for the WBO title, he wouldn't do it. And then not only that, going into the, you know, last part of 2021 where, you know, he was facing Gabe Rosado or whatnot, he, they're talking about him and his team was talking about fighting Derevianchenko for the WBC eliminator. Derevianchenko won this fight against Carlos Adamas. I'm like, what? Wait a minute. What, what part of the game is that? You know? That's uh, like, uh, uh, let me get the name straight. Um, was it Garcia? It's like Kevin Hangley, Haiti. Ryan Garcia, yeah, Ryan Garcia, uh, was like supposed to be a mandatory challenger to hey, Devin hey, Haney. He wants to do, he wants to do an eliminator. Why would you do an eliminator mm-hmm. before you fight? You know what? I'm not gonna get in somebody else's business. I shouldn't even go down that road. Okay, but that's the same situation. What I'm trying to say is, if you're the mandatory, right? Because under the WBO, if a champion moves up, you become the mandatory automatically. So if you were the mandatory, why would you want to do a uh, tuna, you know, fight for uh, eliminator before you had the mandatory? That didn't make no sense. Yeah, like you're, you're fighting Spike Sullivan, you're fighting Periano Thompson, you're fighting, you know, other guys, uh, but not, you know, going ahead and fighting uh, Demetrius Andrade in the WBO. And then and for some reason, he gets to the top. I guess we're on the top level in the WBC, and then he wants to have another eliminator. But, you know, since, uh, uh, you know, Carlos Adamas, you know, had defeated Derevianchenko, Adamas was going to be put in that position. And so now we have, it looks like, you know, uh, Mangia is facing Demetrius Ballard, who was, you know, part of the undercard for 
uh, Magia versus, uh, you know, Gabe Rosado. So, I mean, I guess that's I mean, how that works on. out. I love Gabe Rosado. We had him in camp also. So I love, I mean, Gabe Rosado is a gatekeeper. He gets up there, he does his thing, okay? Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it's like, there's only so many fights a guy can do anymore and win, but he puts on, I mean, he puts all his effort into winning the fight, and I respect him a lot. You know what I'm saying? It's, maybe if they fought him five, six years ago, it would be a different result. Mm, yeah. Okay. But, uh, it's like you, 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 you see, they're picking a name, which is they're going by a name where right, that people know, right? Okay, so everybody knows game, great kid, great fighter. Okay, he ran his course and he's aging up. So, why you want to keep fighting guys, you know, just to make yourself look good and not fight the best? So when he's going to fight good, somebody good. Just like Saddam Ali was really a 147. Mm-hmm. Okay. He fought yeah. Kodo, which Kodo was aged out. He beat Kodo. Great. He won a 54 title. But we didn't know who um, Magia was at the time. So his, his father says, okay, we'll take Magia. Didn't realize Magia was so big and strong. Because he came out of, you know, he came out of, uh, you know, hiding. Yeah, um, and then at that time, I think that, you know, even McGee was suggested as one of those uh, opponents for Gennady Golovkin when uh, the second Golovkin-Canelo fight had been, you know, postponed because of Canelo's tests or whatnot. So, you know, I guess, you know, people kind of like didn't know much about him at that time. I wanted to like touch into real quick here, um, the thing with Canelo Alvarez, because it seems like a lot of people don't know about the history uh, there with Demetrius Andrade and Canelo Alvarez, where at one point when Demetrius Andrade was a WBO 154-pound champion or super welterweight champion, Canelo Alvarez was ranked number one in the WBO. Right. He never exercised his mandatory against Demetrius. Right. So why wouldn't you, you know... Don't tell me about a horrible fighter. Come on. He's for a guy that he fought all blown up 47s until he fought Trump. Okay? Mm-hmm. And Trump was probably the first 254 he ever fought. If you look at the guys, they're all blown up 47s. Mm-hmm. And Trump gave him a hard way to go. And Trump couldn't touch Booker. So, and, I mean, we fought all these guys in the images. Yeah. Yep. And, they, and you go to any one of those fighters and they just say, just don't mess with Boo Because you can't. The whole the list is very long. If you look at your top, your top 10 fighters, none of them will get by him. That's why he made the Olympic team and they did it. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and I was going to go more into the whole thing with that Canelo uh, stuff. Like he would like he had the thing where he was, you know, number one, uh, WBO 154. Didn't go didn't go that route. He moved, he ended up moving up to 160, um, you know, got a belt at 160. And then when Demetrius Andre came up to 160, you know, when you had the whole thing uh, with the WBO middleweight title, which I'll. I'll touch on a little bit later. Andre gets that belt, 
And then he has, you know, his defenses of that title. And at all this time, you know, Canelo could have went, went ahead and unified. And at one particular point, after he defeated Daniel Jacobs, all he had to do was face Demetrius Andrade for the undisputed middleweight championship. And he didn't do it. Well, well this, our defense of him, uh, there was a screw-up there. And I think that would have changed the dynamics of everything because um, there was some kind of agreement, a contract, or a time limit when he had to defend his title. And it didn't go off at the time, so he actually got stripped for one of the belts. And that's why Devin Chanko fought for a baby. Yeah, the IBF, you know. Right. So, and he blamed Oscar for all that shit. And I think that changed the dynamics. That's the only way I could defend Ch uh, Canelo. Mm. And at that point, well, at that point, though, he still could have fought. He could not fight for Undisputed, but he could have fought us for the third belt and then go after the other belt again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But he elected to, to bounce out after he lost that fight, you know, uh, the opportunity to fight, I think, in negotiation with Devin Chaco. Yeah, I think um, it was something with their matchmaker. I think it's Eric Gomez or somebody, you know, where they kind of, you know, said that they would have tried to set up that fight with Drevianchenko and then it didn't happen and then he ended up getting stripped. And I guess he was like, what the fuck, you know? But he's still right. like, you know. And that, though, I don't mean to cut you off, though, for yeah. a second. And that, he could have turned around and said, no, no, I'm going to fight Demetrius Andrade for the unification. Then I'll fight for this title here mm -hmm. to maintain it because unifications trump out mandatories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But something happened there, and I guess Canelo just figured out, well, whatever he's going to do. So, actually, as much as I can't stand the guy, I can't, I will this right is right and wrong is wrong. Mm -hmm. So, he abandoned the middleweight division, but he didn't have to because he, he still had his other belts, and he could have just said, well, I'll, okay, fine, I'll go fight Andre. Those two guys do a box off, and they fight for who's going to be the uh, IBF title holder, and then I'll fight that guy. So he had that road to go down. Yeah. You know, we could have had some, you know, Demetrius Andre face Canelo, defeat Canelo, and he probably would have ended up facing, uh, you know, Gennady Golovkin or whatever it was for the Undisputed Middleweight Championship. And you would have had, you know, it would have been the Undisputed at 160. You know, ever since, you know, Canelo, I guess, held those belts at 160 and then moved up to 168, we haven't had one unification fight yet. Exactly. I mean, what is everybody waiting for? And that was out of the one middleweight division. Okay, so everybody's out of that big money. Mm -hmm. So make your own name. Make your own division. You can't go chase somebody. They're chasing money. Yeah. Is what they're doing. Because, you know what? It's unfortunate they're paying two top guys, two guys, okay, Right. You know, it's not meant to the heavyweight division, but in the close divisions, they're paid, they were paying Canelo and Triple G all the big money, right? Mm -hmm. So when you have a budget and you pay the top executive, takes all the big money, there's nothing left for the people under them, the vice presidents, you know, and all this stuff below them. There's no money left for them. Right. Because you, you're spending your budget on these guys fighting guys that are. Uh, some are worthy and some wasn't. Mm -hmm. And we won't go down that list. Right. Right. But 
you have the opportunity to be created the best middleweight division there is a super six whatever like they did the super six they could get a middleweight division where everybody had to fight and let the best man win right you had galaki you had triple g you had saunders you had us you had Chalo. we could have did what the super six did mm. and just take the best middleweights and put them against each other and, and devin chanko would have been part of that I mean, let's look at the list. Yeah. Eddie Jacobs. Daniel Jacobs, yeah. That could be your six right there. Imagine if we did that middleweight super six, like they did the six or super six. You would have Chalo, Danny Jacobs, Devin Chaco, Canelo, Triple G, Demetrius. Yep. Um, and it's a couple of Billy Joe. Um, at the time, yeah. Even if Mavada was up in there. Yeah, that's it. You would have eight, you would have the top earners in what time, other than the big, you know, the, the Wilders and all that, and you know, um, um, oh, what to do with Joshua and right. all that, you know what I mean, and, and what's his name? So you would have had the second ten, the top earners all fighting for the best middleweight division there was. It would have been the best middleweight. That's it ever. Yeah. And I mean, you would have had something where, like, like you said, it's at middleweight, one of the most storied divisions in boxing. So why not have something that could add to that legacy of the middleweight division? Right. I mean, Danny Jacobs caught one defeat. Okay. And uh, you know, he caught uh, with, with with because he was going through a lot of um, you know, problems, his grandmother passed and everything else. So, you know what? You know, he wasn't prepared for it. Mm-hmm. You know, Danny Jacobs is a great guy. Even Caleb, Caleb, man, I love Caleb to death. He used to do our training camps with us and all that. And, you know, the whole thing is they could have created like they created the Super Six in that middleweight division and blew everything up. Yeah. And that would have been the thing to do. You had all these undefeated fighters. Right. But you had guys that can pick and choose who they fought. Okay, HBO made them, but HBO made Triple G a superstar. They, they spoon-fed Triple G opponents. Mm-hmm. They spoon-fed Canelo all 147s until he fought Trout. Blown up 47s with a name. They were spoon-fed. And a lot of that shit came from HBO after Mayweather left them. And I don't have to say anything more. Because mm-hmm. after that, the only person they had was Danny Jacobs and, um, oh my good boy, there, yeah, shit, Tavis Crawford. And Tavis Crawford got those lost because of top rank. Yeah. And Bob Abbott had a lot of pull with HBO. Yeah. Yeah, look, I know. And after a while, HBO did a deal with people with color. And that's a fact. Oh, yeah. What they it, had was Kevin Crawford and Danny Jacobs. Yeah, there's and that. And then the contract. And then uh, you had the whole thing with, um, you know, when uh, Guillermo Rigondeaux was under top rank or, you know, had fights when they were under HBO. And there were like instances where the commentators on HBO were, you know, not really saying much good about Guillermo Rigondeaux at that time, you know? Yeah, Rigondeaux was a great fighter. I loved his style. 
now, here you got a guy that came out of the agents, he said, I'll fight straight for a title. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. You know, I, I thought the boy could fight. Word. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. how it plays out, it plays out the way it does. Next time you broke with the Chalos, tell them, I understand what liquid coverage is, but when you set them up the next day, remember what you said. Man, man. You see that little video of him and his boys all drunk up, wall up, and all that shit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, he's talking all that shit. Come on, buddy. You know what? You can beat Jared back to this fight. All you got to do is say, okay. Mm. You got a couple of days to say, I will fight Demetrius AJ beside on a dotted line. Other than that, you know, maybe you get coverage again next time you go to a party and have some more drinks. Because that's all that shit was, man. But guess what? We must be a thorn on your uh, your side because you know, I guess you're the only we're the only ones you can talk about. Because when you when you fucked up on uh, better Venus, right? Uh, you back down. Everybody you buck up on, you shut your mouth. When Danny Jacobs put you out the hallway, caught you in the corner, you shut your mouth. When we quit against you in your press conference, you shut your mouth. You're just like a little chihuahua. You know, it's like a little chihuahua. See you, okay? Then when you face the chihuahua, it runs away. Then when you turn your back, the chihuahuas come back at you. Quit being a little bitch chihuahua. Either fight or don't fight. And if choose not to fight, just leave us alone. That's all you got to do. Don't mention our name. Don't get all licking up in front of your boys and soup each other up. Just leave us alone. Isn't that how simple it is? Yeah, yeah, you, you pretty much like said it all there, right there, man, with that, man. Oh, what? Woo! Yeah, you see that video, boom, boom, make a side of a gun, bang, 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 bang. Come on, are you serious? <laughs> We're in the boxing business. We're in the sport business. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if anything, you want to handle it, handle it in the ring, you know, but... Exactly. I mean, don't cuss off some waitress and don't pay your bill and all that shit. Come on, just pay your bill and go out like a gentleman. But like I said, maybe one advertisement, training camp, one interview, anything. If we were going to fight this guy, we would have had interviews on both sides. Maybe one interview he did before the fight. Maybe, oh, oh, wait a minute. I know what it is. The reporters were not interested in in his side, were they? The reporters did not want to interview Chalo about his training care, preparing for Demetrius Andre, because he didn't give one interview at all. Maybe they don't want to. Maybe they think he's such a small p that they didn't want to interview him for the fight with Demetrius Andre. You know what I'm saying? Mm. They must have felt like he was so low on the totem pole. 
that they did not request one interview or his training camp or anything for Demetrius Gandre. Did he ever give an interview, pre-fight interview, for the fight? Remember one? I certainly don't remember one. Well, you know why you didn't get he? There was none <laughs> because nobody was interested in what he had to say. Mm. If there was a fight, think about it that way. Gotcha. So they were interested on his comments. They were interested in what he was going to do to Demetrius here. They didn't want. They were interested in him at all. They figured he was just another opponent that Demetrius was just going to just walk over. Hey, was that below the belt enough? Hey, <laughs> hey, every, anything goes, anything goes here on the boxing source. Whatever you I got. That. Was, was that below the belt enough to let him be heard? Let me be heard about what we think about him. Hey. Hey, speak, you know, talk talk your stuff, man. That that's that's what we're here for. That's what we're here for. No part of our conversation with Paul Andrade. You can catch more with that conversation that we had on the YouTube channel for The Boxing Source. But we will get right back to our January 23rd podcast of The Boxing Source radio show. You got action coming up next week. Uh, you do have like uh, Robeson Consacal, uh there that's... Uh, going to be in the ring against Xavier Martinez in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. But the following weekend, you also have a thing there with Keith Thurman going up against Mario Barrios uh, at a uh, pay-per-view. That's going to be a, you know, pretty interesting fight, Uh, you know, given that Mario Barrios, of course, was at 140 pounds, held the WBA regular 140-pound title before losing to uh, Gavante Tank Davis. And now he's back on pay-per-view against Keith Thurman, who is coming off an extremely long layoff, uh, over two years. And uh, 
it, it's like they got to see where Keith Thurman is at this particular point of his career. I mean, he's had, you know, of course, all those big fights against Sean Porter, against Danny Garcia, against Manny Pacquiao, among others. But after that Manny Pacquiao fight, he has not really, you know, been active or he hadn't been in the ring since. So people got to see uh, where he is at this particular juncture of his career, as he has been one of the uh, more, I would say, um, quote unquote, exciting welterweights out there or a fighter that a lot of people have been interested in. And so he's able to go through here in this fight against Mario Barrios and gets a win then uh, that could, you know, put him in position for a really interesting fight later on down the line in uh, 2022. Uh, but if Mario Barrios wins, then that could be really interesting for him as far as like him getting another high profile fight in the welterweight division if he's able to score a win against Keith Thurman. And so, um, you know, there's like been a couple possibilities for both fighters. Um, there's been talk about, you know, Keith Thurman, that if he gets through this fight in February, that he could potentially face Terrence Crawford, probably by the summer, depending on what he did here against Mario Barrios. And for Mario Barrios, uh, if he gets to win, then that could, you know, that could open up a door as far as like the opportunities for him, uh, as far as like fighting guys like maybe a Boots Ennis or I don't know, maybe, you know, Casillo Clayton or, uh, somebody like if, if Danny Garcia is still, you know, there uh, campaigning at welterweight, he could be a possible opponent there uh, for Mario Barrios. Uh, like there, there's still, you know, a few other uh, fighters out there that, you know, Mario Barrios could face. Maybe even a Mikey Garcia. Mikey Garcia chooses to continue his career, but this time at 147 pounds, even though he lost to Sandro Martin, like people are still saying that, Mikey Garcia is still like a viable opponent of there and someone that could bring in some money uh, from a financial standpoint. So uh, Keith Thurman versus Mario Barrios uh, there February uh, 5th, man, that that's a, you know, a very interesting bout uh, there. Um, any any uh, thoughts on the, the possibilities that could happen uh, for each of these guys? And they to fight? Well, I think the biggest unknown in this fight is Keith Thurman's inactivity. Um, you could probably say that exact same thing for Gary Russell, inactivity. You know, being off for two years, obviously the man is a champion because, you know, shoulder injury, you keep pushing through. But objects in motion, stay in motion. Objects at rest, stay at rest. And that's, you know, metaphorically, is one of the things that happened in the Gary Russell fight, you know. I'm sure he was practicing with his brothers, but, you know, just that high-intensity, emotions-high type uh, contest. So with Keith Thurman, that's going to be his biggest thing. Is he still the Keith Thurman of old? Because if he is, he's going to get his chances at, you know, at Terrence Crawford. And, you know, while he won't be favoring that fight, he'll have an opportunity to put some leather on, on Terrence Crawford and, you know, potentially one-timing. So 
I have to think about what I think gonna happen in this fight, but but my hopes, I'm gonna keep Thurman fan. You know what I'm saying? Tampa, Tampa Bay, Clearwater. Hope one time get reborn in this fight. Javante Davis is special, but if he knocked him out, which it came from like a body shot to uppercut, right? It was like one of them type things, right? It was a body shot that knocked him out, right? Well, it was a body shot that was, you know, one of his last, um, the last knockdowns before uh, the referee had stepped in after another court. So, yeah. Yeah. So, Keith Thurman is unlikely to probably get a body shot knockout. But um, I will be hitting with the one time, you know. Barrios probably is 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 ripe to be get hit, hit with them big shots that Keith Thurman throw them big wide shots, and I hope he throw a few of them shots. I hope he like sort of move. You know how Keith Thurman be like moving to the side where he sort of like be like moving like on the, on his like side, sort of like he's skating, and then he stops and then like throws a, a left hook. Like he'll he'll be moving, 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 moving. And he'll stop in rhythm and throw the left hook and try to move again. I, I hope I, I hope that it'll be like that. Like, you know, keep Thurman a hole where, you know, he's doing what he needs to do to sort of stay away, jab. Uh, I hope he does jab. I hope he get, get it one time because that'll be the best thing for him until he fights the challenge of a Keith Thurman. I mean, not a Keith Thurman, uh, Terrence Crawford, I mean. Yeah. You know, they got to gauge where uh, Keith Thurman is at this particular point of his career. Uh, if he shows up, it shows out. Uh, gets a, you know, not only a good win, but is able to stop Mario Barrios. Um, then, you know, that puts him in position to, you know, potentially face maybe a Terrence Crawford uh, there for the WBO welterweight championship, or uh, maybe even the winner of Errol Spence versus your Dennis Ugas, which looks like that's going to happen around April or May. Uh, so they want to see where he's at as far as like a viable opponent for either, you know, Terrence Crawford or the winner of uh, of uh, Errol Spence versus Jordan Tugas. And also they want to see if he is still one of those fighters that a lot of fight fans are interested in or are interested in seeing because, you know, a lot of the fights that he's had that, were against like Sean Porter, against Danny Garcia, and against uh, Manny Pacquiao were what those were like among the highest viewed fights that they've had for the years that they had those fights take place. So um, they want to see if Keith Thurman is pretty much still a good draw uh, there in, in, in the sport of boxing. And that um, if he's able to, you know, get the win, uh, gets good interest from this particular fight here against Mario Barrios uh, that uh, he'll be able to, you know, I would say set himself up for a very good fight or very lucrative fight uh, later in 2022, you know, uh, and he definitely feels like uh, that he is still among the best uh, welterweights out there. So he will want to step into the ring here February 5th against Mario Barrios and uh, prove that uh, pretty much like, you know, off off the top. And so that he could go ahead, try to get this win over Mario Barrios, and then set himself up for one of those um, big fights that could happen for him later on in uh, this year in 2022. So uh, there is that. 
Um, but you know, with, with that, you know, being said, that's kind of like uh, mostly uh, what I wanted to cover uh, here uh, in this particular episode. Uh, there was uh, one thing that uh, was kind of like announced um, uh, in, in the uh, in the telecast uh, from Showtime uh, yesterday. Uh, they did have something to where they had announced um, a world title fight uh, that was happening at the 130-pound division with Chris Colbert versus Roger Gutierrez. Uh, that's going to be uh, February 26th uh, over at the Cosmopolitan in uh, you know Las Vegas uh, there. So uh, you do have that as, you know, a... Um, a main event, but they said uh, for a co-feature that they were going to have Gary Antoine Russell going up against former uh, world champion Victor Posto. So that is going to be a really, really um, interesting fight there for Gary Antoine Russell because um, that's going to be, you know, of course, like a fight against a guy that you know, not only I said was a uh, a uh, former world champion, uh, but you know also has kind of like had a very close uh, bouts uh, there against other guys in the 140 pound division. So you can have that. You're also going to have uh, Juran and Cajas, uh, you know, having a uh, title defense in that particular bout as well. So uh, that was the thing about it. Uh, that I wanted to kind of like go into as, you know, like I said, Gary Antoine Russell is one of the, you know, more uh, talented fighters in the 140-pound division, you know. So uh, definitely, uh, or you know, I'm definitely uh, looking forward to that particular bout. Um, and... We're, you know, we're going to see uh, how, how that's going to uh, turn out there for uh, Gary Antoine Russell. Of course, uh, you know, like I was saying, also that IBF Junior Bantamweight uh, title fight, Urinan Cajas versus Fernando Martinez, and main event, Roger Gutierrez versus uh, Chris Colbert there. So be sure to look out for that card on February 26th, which will be shown on Showtime. But with that being said, that brings a close. To this particular episode of the boxing source radio show i thank all that were able to join in on this conversation for this podcast and we will have more for you here in the coming days but like i say at the end of every show folks the point of boxing is to hit and not get hit not to send and trade on that note folks i'm out have a good evening everybody <laughs>